Hey, I'm Janet French, and this is the Press Gallery. Before we get to today's show, just a reminder to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you listen. Leave us a rating and a review. It would really help us out. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's Alberta Politics Podcast. It's Friday, November 15th, 2019, and this is episode 298, the Planes, Trains, and Automobiles edition. I'm your host, Janet French. With me today in studio, I have assembled an all-white male panel. (laughs) (laughs) Great introduction, Janet. Yeah, you're welcome. You're all indistinguishable. Some of us are younger than others, though, at least. (laughs) It's true. It's not not an ageist panel. (laughs) No, not ageist. Absolutely not. Directly in front of me, swigging his coffee, is National Post correspondent from Alberta, Tyler Dawson. How are you? I am hanging in there. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) I'm I'm sitting as far away from everyone else as possible. Oh, are you infected with germs? With something, yeah. Oh, that sounds delightful. Mm. Well, don't, no one touched, yeah, (laughs) he's like, come closer. Closer. That sounds delightful. Um, Next to him, our boss, managing editor Dave Breckenridge, how are you this morning? I'm good. Wonderful. Yes. That's a sharp tie you got on there. Thanks. I'm so not supposed to comment on your appearance, but. I like your tie. Your all male <laughs> tie. Um, next to him, legislature columnist Keith Jarine. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. Wonderful. Uh, who came in on his day off? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What a nice guy. <laughs> okay. Well, this was constituency week. That's a happy time for legislature reporters because the house isn't sitting and it's not a complete gong show of us running up and down the stairs in our little shoes all the time. So, uh, but there, don't worry, it wasn't boring. <laughs> there was still lots going on, still plenty to talk about. Uh, so we had another questionable set of expenses from the premier's office that came to light this week. Principal advisor to Jason Kenney, David Knight-Legg, spent $45,000 on travel in just four months. And that included four head-scratching trips to London, costing more than $18,000. And no one will say why. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, we also uh, had Premier Jason Kenney get a little bit excited on Wednesday when uh, Bloc Québécois leader Yves-Francois Blanchette said he doesn't really have much sympathy for Western Canada and is not really inclined to help them find any more uh, Alberta or Saskatchewan, help them find any more autonomy. You know, even if they feel a little alienated after the provincial election, but the federal election, federal election, so many, <laughs> too many elections this year. But first, I want to talk about cast your mind back to 2001. <laughs> Stephen Harper would like to be the prime minister. There is a boiling sense of Western alienation in Western Canada. And back to now, a week ago, um, the premier gave a speech at a conference of conservatives in Red Deer, where he announced a panel of eminent Albertans. That panel will consult with people across the province on how Alberta could be more self-reliant. And some of the ideas that he floated include whether Alberta should have its own provincial police force, the APP. Uh, That's what I'd call it. Um, Whether or not Alberta should have its own revenue agency to collect provincial and federal taxes and disseminate them as such. And whether Alberta should have an autonomous pension plan. Q. 
Keith, where did these ideas all come from? <laughs> well, uh, I think they've been around for a while, but I think they, most people would remember them most clearly being coming from the 2001 firewall letter. That's why you took us back there in your introduction. So this is a letter that a bunch of prominent Alberta conservatives sent to uh, then-Premier Ralph Klein in 2001 saying, uh, Alberta needs to do things to kind of firewall itself off from Ottawa. So yeah, it included things like the pension plan, the police force, uh, having our own uh, revenue collection service. And and they said it at a time when there was a great deal of Western alienation. Uh, shortly after that, uh, Ralph Klein, who was only kind of lukewarm to all of this, he did form a panel of MLAs at the time. They took a look at some of these issues and said, for the most part, it was a no-go. It wouldn't actually uh, improve Alberta's leverage on against Ottawa, uh, but would definitely add to bureaucracy and costs. And so the, the idea kind of died at that point. And then Stephen Harper became prime minister and everyone kind of forgot about it until uh, until last last week. The West wants in. <laughs> yes. Uh Dave, some of these ideas sound expensive, as Keith alluded to. So, for example, Trevor Toome, who's an economist at the University of Calgary, uh, ballparked, based on Quebec's own revenue agency, ballparked in Alberta, wanted about $500 million. What, to like, implement all these things? Uh, no, just just an Alberta revenue agency, not the police. Okay, or, not yeah, $500 million. Just, just collecting our own taxes is going to cost $500 million. Look, I get the sense that this is more posturing than than serious policy discussion. And as a lot of people have, have discussed, it's a way, it's a pressure release valve for a lot of anger directed at the feds right now. It's a way, it's a way for Jason Kenney to kind of harness that anger, but keep it reined in at the same time. Um, you know, we've talked about not having any money for any thing new in Alberta. Alberta is in a deep financial hole. So even if the panel came forward and said, yes, we should do X, Y, and Z. I don't know if these are things that are going to be implemented right away. Um, that said, I don't see a big deal with discussing any of these things. This is like people freak out about, oh, how Alberta can't do away with the RCMP. It's awful. Well, Ontario has OPP and Quebec has a provincial police force. I don't get why the anger at the notion that Alberta wants to discuss these things. I, that's that's the, where I get stuck. You don't get why people are angry that that the government wants to have this discussion, right? Okay, it's a, like these are fair arguments. Like there's there is a great sense of anger directed at Ottawa for a number of reasons, and um, if Alberta wants to pull back from the Confederation, I don't like. Okay, I'm going to disagree with Dave a little bit here. I was going to say, um, I think Keith has some thoughts on <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to disagree. I think there is a risk to going down this road. I, for one, I do not see economic sense to doing this. So the 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 reason for this purportedly is to give Alberta greater leverage against Ottawa. It's not because it's necessarily a good idea for Alberta uh, in terms of uh, our economy or how we deliver our public services. It's about our relationship with Ottawa. I don't see how any of this actually moves the dial there. I think it does carry the risk of other Canadians saying, Alberta, what are you doing here? This is nuts. Um, this is crazy. And it's going to in potentially increase resentment from the rest of the country, which does not help our cause. And then the other part of this is supposed to be kind of a release valve, right? People who are upset get to go in front of this panel. They get to vent. They get to say how Alberta is being screwed around uh, by Ottawa. The idea being that that will release some tension 
I don't know that that's actually going to play out. I think this is a risk. This is a real unpredictable movement, if you can even call it a movement at this point. Does it actually work as a pressure release valve or does it actually more act like a pressure cooker? Does this start a snowball running that Jason Kenney is not going to be able to stop? If you tell people to expect these things, a pension plan, that you, uh, a revenue collection service that we're going to move towards more independence from Ottawa, and then you can't deliver, that's a problem. Or if you do start to deliver and it doesn't actually change Alberta's relationship with Ottawa, uh, if it puts us in a worse place, then I think you have created an expectation among people that moves them down the road towards separation as well. So I think there is a risk to this. What do you, uh, I mean, some people have also postulated this is this is a distraction. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the government unleashed pretty bad news budget, right? The, the first really bad news budget we've had in a long time. How much of a distraction is this? Um, like, don't look at all the programs we've changed or cut. Look over here at this bright, shiny panel of eminent Albertans. Nobody wants to talk. <laughs> okay. Radio silence. Awesome. Okay. That's why we're here. Okay. So I'm probably going to get, I don't know if this is going to answer your question, but this is the other problem I see with this panel. I don't think this is a particularly strong panel. Um, it has former Preston Manning, Preston Manning on there, and and you know Preston has a is revered deservedly so for his his contributions. He is certainly a conservative statesman right now. His contributions of late, though, have not been particularly strong. He was one of the the folks who advised the the Wild Rose Caucus and Daniel Smith to to cross the floor, uh, which worked out very well for, for both parties, right? <laughs> so I don't think his contributions have been particularly strong. You've got Donna Kennedy Glanz in there, former Alberta cabinet minister. She's been right some rather inflammatory things on her blog recently, including questioning whether Trudeau should be a traitor. Um, that's uh, the three MLAs that Jason Kenney has appointed are backbenchers and uh, have not made a name for themselves in any way at this point. Uh, this just does not strike me as the panel I'd want in charge of deciding or at least guiding Alberta on some really important questions about its future. Tyler, do you think anyone outside of Alberta has noticed? That we're mad enough to make a panel? No, probably not. Nah, I mean, I think Quebec no, has. Um, no, but I mean, I think the other things to keep in mind here are just two things. The first is that none of this is going to happen without a referendum. So Kenny's built in an escape valve, an escape route for him for himself here. Um, obviously, it could go the way of Brexit, and then he finds himself in a pile of trouble. But there's that. <laughs> um, and the other part is that if we dial all these things way back to their root cause, the, the, the source of this frustration and whining uh, in Alberta is the economy. And none of these proposals do anything for the economy. And the idea that there is going to be some leverage inherent in any of these proposals that will help turn the economy around, I, I just that would have to be true in order for any of this to be a especially good idea on anything other than the principles of it, let's which just all do these a, things may be, but... Let's just do a count. How many things are we supposed to have a referendum on so far? I, I count three. Okay. So there's equalization, equalization, right? There is the provincial police force and I believe the pension plan. Those were the two Kenny, I think, specifically mentioned as yeah. referendums. I think the, all of them. But there may be all of them, right? Right. So this could Everything include, the panel's studying, right, yeah. Right. Uh, except some of them are like... Um, they're going to study whether Alberta should 
opt out of federal programs like this new PharmaCare program. Yeah, which, which may or may not include healthcare as right. far as I'm concerned. I know. <laughs> and like, we that end up in court? Right. Yeah. We, but again, that's probably not something you're going to have a referendum on. That's probably something the government could decide on its own. But most of, of that list could very well yeah. be a referendum. And you would probably have it all at the same time which is likely to be 2021 during the municipal elections. So that could be a busy election in 2021. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking, like, do you think it's confusing to voters to have multiple different issues like that put to referenda questions on one ballot or one day? I don't know. I, is I, that I, is that I, sort of democratically I don't see an kosher? Issue. I don't no? see a problem with that personally. Like to have ballot initiatives, like here's your counselors, here's your mayor. And vote yes or no on these three questions. I, I guess know. the U.S. does that all the time, right? Like prop whatever. That that seems to be. You a know, I know American people like to, to joke about how voters are stupid, but I don't think that the. <laughs> in general, I don't think the electorate is that uh, dim that they couldn't figure out three referenda. That's... I'm in the middle of reading a book that I will talk about next week that will address your question. Oh. <laughs> that will, ju- will address your issue. I'm going to move on to a topic that Dave is apparently very excited to talk about, which is some comments by. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet, uh, sporting a bow tie yesterday in Ottawa. Very snappy. (laughs) Very peppy, yeah. Blanchet dismissed any, sorry, it was Wednesday, not yesterday, my bad. Whatever day it was, he totally dismissed any kind of comparison between Quebec's need for autonomy and Alberta and Saskatchewan's interests. Um, And the wedge that he seems to be tripping on here is climate change and our approach to climate change in the oil industry. So uh, this is a quote um, from his conversation with the reporters. He said, if they were attempting to create a green state in Western Canada, I might be tempted to help them. If they are trying to create an oil state in Western Canada, they cannot expect any help from us. So this led to a bit of a spat via us, the media, where these leaders were taking jabs at each other in interviews and scrums throughout the rest of the day, which was kind of fun. One of Kenny's quotes was uh, back back to him um, was "Pick a lane." Um, what, <laughs> Tyler, what did you think of of Kenny's response to this? Um, I am inclined to agree with the column that Don Braid wrote for today's papers, wherein he said Kenny doesn't actually need to fight with everyone who says something mean about Alberta. What? He, he could probably ignore this. Yeah. Tyler, that, fight back that's, strategy. That, that's not Jason Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> Have you met no. the premier? But I mean, the thing is, I, it's worth keeping in mind that Yves-Francois Blanchet is a, is a meaningless political force outside of Quebec. He's a negligible political force within Quebec um, and certainly within the federal parliament. There, there's no real good reason to pay any attention to him as far as I'm concerned. So, I mean, you just, you end up on the front page of the paper flinging insults back and forth. I mean... We're in an economic crisis, haven't you heard? Surely there are better things to be doing. Isn't it all connected, though? No. No. Okay, <laughs> not, not entirely. Is it? Should we, I mean, Dave, should we expect any sympathy from Quebec at this trying time? No, I don't. I think that uh, I would agree that it's not going to win us any points to to be picking a fight with the Bloc Québécois leader. I just, the thing that, that always gets me is there's this, I feel sometimes there's a disconnect. You know, I get that, when you look at the whole picture of equalization, Alberta contributes about 14% of the equalization dollars total because it's all based on income taxes. But, you know, this was something that Elizabeth May raised in the federal leaders debate, that if you really go out of your way to hurt the oil industry in Alberta, you end up hurting other Canadians because if the industry shuts down, we can't contribute as much. And 
then we get upset about equalization and people freak out, oh, you guys make so much money here. Like there's this, I feel sometimes there's a disconnect and I don't begrudge the premier, the idea of raising that point is that Alberta's oil industry contributes to the rest of the country. It does. It, you know, it, it also helps fund manufacturing in Ontario because we need equipment for the Alberta oil patch and Alberta incomes raised by the oil industry help fund the equalization program. So for people who say, well, you know, the equalization program is good as it is, but we don't want more pipelines or we don't want your oil coming through our province. There is a disconnect there. So fair enough, Jason Kenney wants to raise that and wants people to understand that. But as Tyler said, it doesn't necessarily win him any points in Quebec and it, uh, fighting with the leader of the Bloc Quebecois. Crazy thought. Um, does Blanchet have a point? I mean, is Alberta really doing enough to uh, to tame its environmental footprint nationally, globally? Is it is it a climate leader at this point? I think the results of the federal election would say most Canadians don't feel that we are, certainly not as a country, uh, doing enough. Um, the recent tier plan that the Kenny government put in is a step back from where the NDP was. Uh, I think most people would say it's probably not going to be enough to uh, convince Canadians, convince the rest of the world that we are taking a, an aggressive enough step on on climate change. Jason Kenney would disagree. And I think a lot of it's going to come down to all the money that that program generates and, and goes towards new technology. Not all of it's going towards new technology. Some of it's going to have to pay down the debt and fund this war room. But if some of that investment can actually lead to technology that works, then maybe he's going to have an argument to see to say, see, this was enough, right? And we did we did target this in an appropriate way. The problem is we're not going to see that for 5, 10, 15 years. Fair enough. Which is pretty far down the timeline of getting these in, things that's right. That's like millennia in politics, right? Yeah. They think in months and maybe four-year terms. So uh, it's early in the term. This is my transition attempt here. It's going badly. Um, we found out some more this week about some expenses by people in government. Um, we all remember last week talking a lot about airplanes and pancakes, and that was uh, because we learned that uh, the Alberta citizens paid approximately $16,000 for a private charter plane to ferry uh, Jason Kenney, along with three other conservative-minded premiers, along with a couple of wives and some senior political staff for those premiers from Calgary to Saskatoon. They had a little meeting in Calgary, a pre-Council Federation premiers meeting before the big real premiers meeting to strategize. What? And they got hats. And they had hats and pancakes. Those and white hats. There's, there's a photo things. up. Yeah. We're all very fixated on the Calgary Stampede event. But really, that's not why they were in Calgary. That was just a, a, a bonus photo op. They were there to strategize about their their sort of unified front. A, a <coughs> cough, we'll call it. And Tyler has now as I, coughed. As I cough. <laughs> Perfectly, perfect timing. Well awesome. Uh, anyway, so th there was a bit of a fracas about that expense last week. And, and the government very much defended it and said it was showing those premiers Alberta hospitality when they paid for that flight. And then this week, the NDP, who apparently have been digging around for dirt on these guys. Shocking. Why? Why would they do that? <laughs> I don't know. I can't the imagine. Opposition party digging I don't know. for dirt. Something optic, optics, something, <laughs> something. Anyway, this week, the opposition is raising concerns about the expenses of 
Jason Kenney's principal advisor, David Knight Legg. He's a former international banker who appears to be traveling almost constantly. I had a very thorough look through his expenses for the first four months. And um, I think there's maybe like a two-week span in August where he didn't go anywhere uh, since he started work in May. Uh, He's taken four trips to London between June and September. No one really will say why. Um, And he's, he's taken little heat about this, including from Rick Bell. Rick Bell's column, if you Rick have not Bell, read it, Rick Bell's column was really good. It's a, it was good. It's a very good Rick Bell column. Dinger. Uh, Hits one out of the park. It was, <laughs> it was, it was very well crafted. Um, it's this optics of him staying in some fairly upscale hotels, um, expensing, doing his per diems every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's a pretty handsome compensation rate if you're traveling internationally for the public service. Um, lots of train rides, hence the title of this podcast, Uber fares. And some of these flights were, when I looked at the initial receipts, $3,500 one way from Calgary to London. So the NDP is calling on the auditor to have a look at, is Alberta getting, are Albertans getting value for money from these travel expenses? And what exactly is this guy doing in London? Uh, The government, again, very uh, robust defense of this travel He's saying it's part of a strategy they can't discuss because of competitive interests. Um, Kenny himself is going to London next month, so maybe we'll find out more then. But also they said, interestingly, that it's part of they, – they can't reveal what's going on because it's part of the fight back strategy uh, against the people who are out to besmirch the reputation of Alberta's oil and gas industry. Um, I'm just wondering what you guys – what went through your heads when you heard about this, oh, Dave's shaking his head. Uh, look, we talked about this last week in the sixteen thousand dollar flight, and and the idea that you know it's not billion dollar scandals necessarily that bring down a government. It's little things like chartered flights, and I mentioned last week sixteen dollar orange, orange juice, juice, which ended Bev Oda's time in the federal liberal cabinet. No, conservative cabinet. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> they just, I just assumed. They blend the federal, together after They blend one. together. Sorry. Se- and it bad Oda's time in the federal conservative cabinet. And you have this, I don't think the average Albertan is going to get upset if we have a trade representative or a high ranking government official going to London to do business if it has payoff for Alberta. But when... It's $3,500 flights one way and expensive hotels and a lack of explanation as to what he's doing. I think that's problematic. And again, as I said last week, you think Jason Kenney, who once oversaw the Canadian Taxpayers Federation in Alberta and helped raise the alarm about Alberta MLA's very rich pension plan, um, would understand this. And this is where I get frustrated is that... No one is going to be upset if you say, yes, we need to send him here. This is really important. Here's what he's doing, but we're going to rein in the spending a bit, you know? And on top of the fact that this also came the week that we found out that the inquiry into foreign funded anti-oil groups granted a sole source contract to the law firm 
where the commissioner's son is a partner. It just, as you know, have a read of Rick Bell's column. And, and for people who listen to this podcast who also read Rick Bell, you know that Rick hasn't gone out of his way to to take the t- conservatives to task on a lot recently. He's kind of leaned more in their direction, especially toward the end of the NDP's run. Not today. Not today. And, he's mad. And he's mad, and <laughs> rightfully so. Well, these are such unforced errors. I mean, yeah. like everyone saw what happened to Alison Redford. Everyone saw what happened to Bevoda. Like, and the other thing that I think is relevant here is these are like the per diems, whatever. I don't think people are too worked up about that. But an awful lot of Canadians, an awful lot of Albertans have flown overseas, have flown to London and have shopped around for deals and know full well you can fly for less than $3,500. And, you know, one of Kenny's staff was going around on Twitter the other day saying that, oh, 200, 300 pounds a night, this is within normal, you know, hotel prices for London. Well, I've been to London and I haven't spent that much. My parents have been to London and would never spend that much money on a hotel. This is, these are- But he has to be in the financial district, Tyler. Well, That's what they say. That's where the meetings are. Goodness, They're at the hotel. There's a pretty good subway system in London. Like, what? You know, <laughs> it's, the, these are, these are- Unforced errors compounded by the fact that people know full well they don't need to be spending this much money. And when they're saying just trust us, this is – Dave's right. This is what brings the government down. It's not the NDP crying social conservative. It's four years from now when people look at the nickel and diming of their money while they're being told to tighten their belts that people get mad. Yes, and that's exactly what the NDP um, democracy and ethics critic Heather Sweet was saying yesterday is – it's it's not just like these expenses aren't Alison Redford level, but they are, a, you know, a, an interesting beginning to a government that is talking about, um, you know, that's asking education system to freeze their funding as enrollment grows, uh, asking the health system to grow by 1%, not 3% in their funding as there's a growing cadre of aging seniors who need more health services, among some of the other cuts that, that have been um, – you know, aimed at people like people who are on Aish, for example. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really reasonable point. Like, look, I, Jason Kenney's taken a lot of trips since becoming premier. Uh, I encourage that. I think he should be taking trips. I think he should be going to Mexico and London and the United States and other parts of Canada. That is his job as premier is to sell the province to make sure that the rest of the world understands what his government is doing, that there are economic opportunities in Alberta. So, absolutely, I encourage him to make those trips. His staff need to make those trips, but let's do it in a reasonable way uh, that does sort of reflect the the mood of the, of the province right now. When you get elected as a government that talks about the need for austerity to some degree, when you talk about how we have to help the middle class, help uh, struggling Albertans put a little more money in their pocket, this kind of thing just seems really elitist. And uh, it is the kind of thing that is going to enrage people. We've seen it before. And as Tyler said, unforced errors. There is no reason they should have gone down this road. And also there's the issue of using the explanation of, well, it's because there's a conspiracy against us by the anti-oil sands foreign interests. Um, and I think Heather Sweet raised the point yesterday, is that the is that the excuse they're going to use or the reason they're going to use every single time they don't want to tell the public something? And there may be a legitimate reason, you know, commercial interests or sensitivities or whatever, why they don't want to tell us. But are they always going to go back to this explanation that it's it's part of the global conspiracy against us to landlock our oil? And is that a reasonable, how much can you hide behind that wall and use that as 
as a reasonable reason. Not at all. I mean, frankly. It might work once or twice. Yeah, you start bringing it out three or four times, then people start to get suspicious. And, and if it applies in this case, if it applies in the cases they've used already, why not eliminate the lobbyist registry? Why not eliminate the sole source contract page where we found out this whole Denton's firm thing? Well, that's that's part of this in- inquiry. And now we know who's involved, right? Like, if this applies to these flights, then it should apply to all sorts of other things. And people wouldn't stand for that. So why would they stand for it here? Well... I'm going to move on to good stuff from the gallery. Everybody get your phones out. I can sing some hold music while you I know mine. Look up your links. Uh, I can't really sing that well, so you're spared. Tyler, help. All right. Uh, so I would recommend reading. Don't read it in public, but if there's a <laughs> article. I love this recommendation. There, no, no, it's not. Not for the reasons you think. Um, there's an article in Outside Magazine by Blair Braverman, who is a sled dog person in Wyoming. And she wrote a story on how to grieve losing a dog. Um, and it's very sad. But there's maybe someone listening to the podcast who would benefit from reading that. Um, but, you know, don't read it in the office. Have you lost a dog? No, but I mean, I will eventually, and right. I'm already dreading it. Oh, no, that's terrible. It's, it's like 10 years away, hopefully. Maybe, unless he gets like some kind of... Okay, Janet. Anyway, sorry, I'm not killing your dog. <laughs> I'm killing your dog. <laughs> Oops. Uh, Dave. I will recommend people have a read of uh, Rick's column on uh, the week of uh, the UCP. Also, Don Braid's column on um, why Kenny needs to avoid the kind of fights that he's picking. But my my actual good stuff um, is the most recent episode of the Canada Land podcast, Oppo. Um, it's, uh, for those who haven't listened before, it's a, it's a two-person back and forth uh, ho- hosted by Jen Gerson uh, and Justin Ling, and they talk Canadian politics. This episode is a lengthy interview with uh, former Conservative Party Deputy Leader Lisa Raitt, uh, who lost her seat in their most recent election to, I believe, uh, former Olympian Adam Vancouverden. And it's just, she opens up about what she thinks kind of undid the Conservatives in the election campaign. Um, it's interesting. She she offers a defense of Andrew Scheer, but she also talks about where th- she thinks the disconnect was between the party and voters. And I think it's a, it's a good listen, uh, especially for people who are very politically nerdy like us. Speak for yourself. I'm going to interject with an article from Scientific American. I love uh, news items about things that you just don't expect. And um, they have an article called Climate Change May Be Blowing Up Arms Depots. So it turns out that uh, poorly stored munitions in uh, some war-torn areas, such as the Middle East, uh, the the daytime temperatures are getting so hot that uh, arms, like missiles and stuff, are just spontaneously exploding unexpectedly. Sometimes they don't kill anyone, but sometimes they do. And uh, yeah, it's fascinating. There's even... uh, an acronym for it is called Unplanned Explosions at Munitions Sites, U-E-M-S. Watch out for that. Keith. Huh. 
Wow. Okay. I was in Afghanistan. They didn't warn us about that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Low on the list of concerns yeah, yeah, yeah. at that point. Yeah. Unplanned hazard. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to recommend something in Insider Magazine. Um, the headline is, I went to a convention for politics nerds and it filled me with dread, loathing, and existential terror. Um, <laughs> so this is um, an event called Politicon. I don't know if any of you have heard of this or not, but it, they essentially bill it as the Comic Con of politics. So people go and they dress up as their favorite politicians. No. So there, yes, there is a lot of Donald Trump Holy wigs, uh, some Boris Johnson, people dressing up as Elizabeth Warren, um, Bernie Sanders apparently was popular there as well. And they bring in kind of minor B-list political celebrities. Ann Coulter was there. Al Franken was there. They have little speeches, little panels, uh, book signings. Like by the and, fake politicians uh, no, or well, the, the no, real ones? No, has-beens and never-wases and, right. and political commentators. And she just said that she found this disturbing, not because like a comic con, right? The, the movies and the characters that are celebrated there are clearly make believe, but at Politicon, she found <laughs> that unfortunately that just hit too close to home. It was <laughs> not, not fake. It would, the, the make believe was actually very close to reality. And so, yeah, she felt it was, uh, uh, an odd thing to celebrate, but that, uh, it was a, kind of a fascinating read to, to get a look into this, um, bit of American culture we may not have heard of. That's amazing. Uh, that is all the time we have to, for today. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any feedback or thoughts, you can tweet at me. I'm at Janta French on Twitter or email me jfrench at postmedia.com. Thank you so much for listening. Join us next week for another episode of The Press Gallery. 